Well, good morning. morning. It's great to be with you here this morning. Excited for uh, what we're going to be learning from Scripture today. Uh, I really love that the last song we were singing uh, is one I listen to frequently. Uh, And just the, the line about all the glory goes to the Lord. And it is all through Jesus that we are able to live for him and in his uh, li- living for him and, f- and doing what he's called us to do. So I really appreciate that. Just really appreciate that. Well, we've been in our series in the book of First Timothy, and we've been kind of walking through a set of questions. We- we've been we've called it leadership questions, um, and we've walked through some difficult passages, uh, some challenging questions, and we've kind of we're understanding what does the scripture say to us uh, about leadership and, and leadership roles in the church and uh, and how is that how do we negotiate that with the surrounding culture what what does all of this kind of mean for us how do we apply it and today we're, we're considering today the question of honor from first timothy chapter five now i think honor is kind of an it's this interesting concept to me where that it's it's given to all people in certain respects and then there are times where we also give honor in response to certain actions, accomplishments, or acts of service. In many ways, I, I kind of like to think of this as sort of a, we're in sort of a season of honor right now. How, how many of you have, uh, have attended or have been or know someone who's graduated from high school or college or graduate school? Okay, most, 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 most people on this side, a few people on this side. Um, and that, that's very much this, this season, right? Graduations are often very, they're exciting. We're celebrating a person's educational accomplishments. I, I was reminded recently of my own graduations from CCBC, the community college, and Towson, uh, as that's been some years now. But it always like, kind of pops up around this time. You're reminded of like, oh yeah, I, I graduated from college uh, several years ago. And I was reflecting on my graduation, particularly from uh, community college, and I was thinking about what might be the, like, what's like the most important thing, the most valuable thing at spring graduations. And for, for many of us as well, we, we might think that, oh, it's maybe the college president or the provost or the, the school principal for high school or the students. But I don't know, I think kind of here on the East Coast, it might be a little controversial, but I think air conditioning might really be the most valuable thing at, at graduations. I, I remember uh, when I graduated from the community college, um, I was, I, we were, it was an outdoor graduation. It was a sweltering hot day. At the end of May, I'm wearing this regalia, and my, my poor and uh, my faithful and devoted family, they waited so patiently as thousands of students came forward one by one, called by name, and they had to wait for me at the end at the W's. <laughs> and I think, I mean, I remember they always, they told all the students, don't, don't leave. But I mean, like, if people were leaving, the, the students were like, okay, I walked across, I got my thing and I'm out of here. Uh, and so I was like, where did all the students go? Um, so it was an interesting experience. Um, but we are in kind of this season of honor. So I was very, I was grateful for my family on that day, um, my own graduation, as we are for all our families who support us uh, as we finish. But we also have some other things that we are honoring as well. We celebrated Memorial Day recently, and we stopped to remember those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our nation. And we honored mothers a few weeks ago, and we have Father's Day coming up as well. So this is sort of, I don't know, sort of a season of honor. But what what is honor? How do we give honor to others? Is it ceremony and celebration? Or is it something more significant than that? 
And what does the scripture say about giving honor? Now, as followers of Jesus, we know that the name of Jesus is worthy of all the honor of, and glory that we could possibly give, and far more than any of that. And as a group of individuals who desire to make the name of Jesus known in its great glory and honor that it deserves, we are also called to give honor to one another in our families and within the church. And so our question today, as you see on the screen, how can we give honor to one another in our relationships? And in our passage in 1 Timothy chapter 5, we're going to see three ways that we, as followers of Jesus, can give honor toward one another within our families, within the church. So let's look at the first one here. I'll give you a little bit of background information, but the first point is that we can give honor by treating one another with respect and purity. I want to just do a quick review of some of the background information on the letter, 1 Timothy, that Paul is writing here. So in 1 Timothy, the, the author is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to Timothy and also the Ephesian church. Um, Timothy is this um, close disciple of the Apostle Paul, who Paul has mentored and invested a great deal of time in. And Timothy is in the city of Ephesus right now, and he's receiving instructions from Paul of, and guidance on matters of the church, of church order, church doctrine, um, selecting leaders. There seems to be this, there's some false teaching that's going on here in First Timothy. We don't know the exact nature of it. Some of the clues from the letter seem to be a combination, this false teaching, some combination of maybe asceticism uh, and Jewish legalism. We saw a little bit about that last week, uh, some things about forbidding marriage and uh, some questions about food and, and what, uh, what, would, what would be acceptable to eat. Um, and this letter is also believed to be written at the end of, toward the end of Paul's ministry. So while many aspects of this letter are addressed to Timothy and to, to lead people in church leadership, we've also seen how relevant and applicable there are so many things in this letter to us as members of our church and as followers of Jesus. And we're going to see that very much here in verses 1 and 2. So let's dig into our passage, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Gordon Fee suggests that these verses are serving as kind of a transition between the content of chap the end of chapter 4 and this main argument of chapter 5, which we'll see in a little bit where he will get into discussions about honoring the widows and the elders and selecting of leaders. But these verses also still carry significance. And they seem to support the discussion that is going to follow. And Paul here is instructing Timothy on how to treat all members of the church regardless uh, of age or gender. Timothy, as this pastor, shepherd, leader of the church of Ephesus, had this, had this responsibility to in encourage, right, to admonish and encourage Christians to live for Jesus in obedience and righteousness. That's kind of the meaning of that word encourage there. It can also be translated exhort. It has, this, has that idea of admonishing towards obedience. However, Timothy needed to fulfill this responsibility in a pure and respectful manner. Now, the issues of age and gender can, can always be 
reasons and causes for, for disrespect even within our culture that we live in. We, we continue to see our culture wrestling with, with questions about gender and roles and all these kinds of things. And, and as a church, the church continues to think through these questions as well. And we've talked some about that in previous messages. And then there's, there's issues of age as well. Uh, you don't have to go far. You could go into a grocery store and you can see somebody who seems to disregard somebody else who is older, perhaps, or slower, just rushing right by them. I know I've seen that at times myself. This lack of regard in our society for people of, of different age um, demographics. I think, you know, uh, we definitely, obviously, we see with teenagers, it's very common to be disrespectful to their parents, to other adults. Um, this is kind of one we may not always think about, um, but we also see that younger people may sometimes be looked down upon and that was a concern for Paul in regards to Timothy in his leadership role, which is why um, Paul writes this to, first, to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And so Paul here is reminding Timothy to... Um, of this possible concern and just remain faithful sets your example. Um, so, but Paul's instructions on these matters uh, of respect and purity, they're, they're in, in relationships, they're really simple. It's just to give respect to everyone and be pure in your relationships. Look back in verses uh, 1 and 2 of 1 Timothy 5. I wanted to point out how and I think this is really neat how Paul uses family relationships to indicate this, this idea of respect and purity. He says that we should treat the older, older men as fathers and younger men as brothers and, young, and older women as mothers and younger, younger women as sisters. These family relationships are supporting these concepts about purity and respect. And if you think about it, and I, and I know I'm speaking in a room where I, there are, obviously family relationships can be very complex, and they don't always come out healthy, and, um, but healthy relationships between parents and their children and their siblings, this is more of the, the ideal, what you would see with this respectful and pure kind of idea. But what does, that, what does that look like? What does that look like in, in practice? Um, this was a, sometimes a little bit challenging thing for me to think through. And so uh, I'm thinking about kind of just a personal example of kind of what I've seen in my own family. Now, my family, we're, very, we're a very close-knit family. And we have very close relationships between my siblings and my mom. And particularly close with my brother. And some of you know my brother. This is a, a picture of, of us together from a few weeks ago. Uh, and my brother and I, uh, we are, we've grown up together. We've done pretty much everything together over the years. Uh, we think a lot alike. We dress alike sometimes. Some of you have seen that. We've been asked many times if we are twins. We're not. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Does anybody, think, does anybody think we look like twins? Is that... Okay, I got two. Okay, there's always someone, you know. Uh, <laughs> um, but we we uh, we think so much alike that sometimes we maybe in conversations with people, 
even among our family members and my family who are here can testify to this. We can be in conversation with friends and we can say the exact same thing at the exact same time. And we don't plan that. <laughs> it just comes out that way. We just think on a lot of the same levels. And there is a, there's this, there's a sort of purity and trust in, in our relationship as brothers where we, we have respect for one another. Well, I mean, most of the time. <laughs> most of the time. I like to think I'm, I'm respected all the time, but I don't know if that's, you know, that's always the case. I'm not always deserving of it. But we look out for one another. We support one another. We share concerns with one another. We share our doubts and our fears and, and we desire what's best for one another. And we, we often have conversations about theology and we're striving, we're pushing each other to follow hard after the Lord and to follow His will. I think this, and this, this concept about family relationships is an important principle for church leaders and for church members to remember and to live by. That we have this respect and purity in how we look at each other as followers of Christ by, by setting our minds to think of each other in terms of brothers, sisters, fathers, and mothers. If we have that perspective, or we can then we can then, there's a lot of power in that. We can serve together on mission for the gospel and live out this proper respect and purity that God has called us to have. I think there can be great freedom in that as we live that out. Um, if we have that serving together with a genuine love, and respect, and care, and purity for one another. So we all have one mission and one purpose. That's to make the name of Jesus known to this world and to bring his name glory and honor in all that we do. As followers of Jesus, we are called to love one another. And this love is something that has been put into our hearts by the Lord Jesus who has changed our lives, who lives within us. I love how Jesus describes the love that we as Christians have for one another. He says in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is the distinctive mark of a follower of Jesus. And there is this, this special kind of unity that we have as followers of Christ because we are joined together by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit living within us. And when we love one another, we want what's best for one another. We want to do what is right by each other. We want to relate to one another in ways that honor God. We want to pray for each other and support one another. We place other people ahead of ourselves. And love is what sets us apart from those who don't know the Lord. And the gospel is the foundation for this love that we have. The gospel is what makes us a spiritual family together. The gospel is this message of God's redeeming love for a world that was far from him. It begins with the simple fact that every person is a sinner who has committed acts, said words, had specific thoughts that were in opposition to God's word and will. 
It's as simple as saying a bad word or a hurtful word or something, doing something selfish. We all are sinners. We have all done those kinds of things and more. And the penalty, the scripture says, for sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. It's also why we die physically. But God had a solution to this separation that was created, that sin created between God and man. And the solution was Jesus, who was the Son of God, who lived a sinless life, who came to earth to die on the cross and be buried and to rise again from the dead for the sins of the world. His death makes it possible for individuals to now have a right relationship with God if they will put their faith in his finished work. And so what God, at, what we are, what we, in response to this work, we, are, we must be willing to acknowledge our sin and be willing to repent and turn from it and to put our faith and trust in the work of Jesus as the only means by which we can be forgiven and have a right relationship with God. And that in relationship would be restored and then we will know that we spend eternity with the Lord in heaven. For those of us that have done that, who have placed our faith in Jesus, we are members of a spiritual family. We are brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus. We are co-laborers in the ministry of the gospel. And that means that we are called to treat one another with love, respect, and purity in all matters. So just to some points of application on, on this idea, I just want us to be thinking about what our relationships look like. What characterizes them? Are they characterized by respect and purity for those that are of different age brackets? Whether this is for, for teenagers being respectful to their parents or for older adults to be respectful of those that are younger. Each one of us matters significantly within the church and we all matter immensely to the Lord. From the, from the youngest of us to the oldest, each one of us matters so much. God's love is in our hearts and we are to, again to love and care for one another deeply to look out for each other and pray for each other and encourage one another, urging one another to live in holiness. And then on the idea of purity, thinking about is there, is there purity in your relationships? For those in leadership positions, that's something that we, we always want to maintain, a pure and blameless character before God. But even for those that are not in specific church leadership roles, that's something that God's called us all to have. Whether you're single or married or dating, that's something that, that purity, we want to characterize how we live. And so I just, I just encourage you as you think about those things, to think about how, what, what, what do your relationships look like? Are they characterized by purity and devotion, faithfulness? What does your conversation look like and sound like? This world, there, there's temptation and the struggles are all around us. It's everywhere. You don't have to look far for temptation, for um, impure thoughts. They pop up, you, you just open your phone, you, you look through, uh, you do some, some brief browsing, searching. It's right there. 
I think it, there's, there is great wisdom in having accountability partners as, is a great way to sort of combating some of these struggles as we work together as brothers and sisters to hold each other accountable in the Lord. So not only, though, can we show honor and respect uh, through showing respect and purity in our relationships, we also show honor through our care and support. Let's look in uh, verse 3. 1 Timothy chapter 5. It says, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Now, I think this is, this is a very interesting portion of this passage that, that Paul gives us. He's giving instructions about caring for widows, and he'll, he'll say some more things about caring for elders in the church. And this is so, but he also is talking about two different spheres. There's the sphere of the family and the sphere of the church. And both are to show honor, to give honor to certain individuals, these, these widows, these individuals in need. I think also this is um, very much in keeping with the teaching uh, of Jesus, we see in the New Testament, but it also is principles from the Old Testament. Uh, in, in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, we read, it says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is the, the fifth commandment from the Ten Commandments. And I think Jesus adds some further clarity on this when he, te- when he says this in Matthew chapter 15. Jesus here is addressing some of the religious leaders who were creating ways for children to avoid caring for their parents. Uh, and they were kind of f- creating some loopholes. And so Jesus, Jesus says this, For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition you have made void the word of God. So Jesus here is, is continuing the principle, the idea from the Old Testament that children were responsible to care and look after their parents. Uh, this, these ideas of honoring t- certainly included financial support. And we see Paul alluding to that, that if a, if a widow had children or grandchildren, that would be the children's responsibility to look after the widows look after their parents, and that would be what is pleasing to the Lord. But the Jewish leaders here, were, they were creating these loopholes so that the, um, the Jewish, these, these individuals, they would be like, well, this is a gift to the Lord, and so then they wouldn't have to give it to their parents or to, to do the support that they were supposed to give. And so that was this sort of loophole around that. And they were, these religious leaders were leading the, the people into disobedience to the Word of God. And that's what Jesus is calling out here. And Paul, he seems to continue to reiterate these ideas when he writes this in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. It says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. These are strong words. Strong words from the Apostle Paul. But what does honor through care 
and support look like? I think it's, it's one of those things that can look, it looks different in different situations. And as I mentioned, financial support is definitely, seems to be in view for those that have need. Um, but I think there are, there are other ways also that we honor and, get and show through care and support for our family. Now I know I, I'm speaking to uh, many in, in this room today who have cared for loved ones, spouses, um, other relatives, um, perhaps children. You've, you've cared for those that have gone through serious illness or have um, gone through a lot of suffering. And, and you know and feel what those challenges look like each day. And, and it can be very hard to persevere in those days. And so I don't know the exact circumstances of those that are in the room here this morning. Um, but I know a little bit about what you've gone through uh, as we've walked through those days with my dad. Uh, some of you know a little bit about my, my story uh, with my dad. But um, my dad had a long-term battle with Parkinson's disease, which ended this year on March 27th uh, when he went home to be with the Lord. And during the last few years of my dad's life, we, um, my family and I were his caregivers for each day. We would do pretty much everything for him, whether that would be hygiene care, or feeding him, lifting him from the, in and out of the chair to his hospital bed. It was such a difficult task. It was so wearying and exhausting, but it was also a special privilege to honor my dad, and to honor the Lord through caring for him. I think I've got a, I've got a picture on the slides of my dad. Uh, this is a photo I took. It was one of my favorite photos. It's from his 76th birthday. When we went out. It's the last birthday he had with us, uh, and I snapped a good photo of him blowing out that candle. Um, and it was just a spe- such a special moment there. Um, but one of the things that I think we, we, we see here that Paul here is teaching about how parents care for their children in healthy situations. And children have this honor that they can give back to their parents. And my dad had been faithful to us and to our family. And so it was our privilege also to be faithful in return and to care for him. And in the end, we saw God's faithfulness in it all. How God sustained us through those days and enabled us to give the honor, that, kind, that honor to my dad and to care for him. And we could not ever have done it without the sustaining power and grace of God. I know, and in everyone's situations will look different. The ways that we honor and care for parents and loved ones will look different depending on circumstances. But I think the application is that God has called us to, to show that love to our families, that kind of honor to our parents in whatever ways we can do that. But Paul also accounts for the fact that some widows didn't, don't have, they didn't have a support system. They didn't have family or children or grandchildren to support them. And so we read about how the early church looked after widows in the book of Acts. And this was this point of dispute. We don't, we don't have time to look at it um, for today. 
but it also prompted the selection of specific leaders who would care for the widows. Um, we'll see also, uh, let's continue in our passage in 1 Timothy, that certain, the widows had to meet certain criteria in order to qualify for this, this financial support, care from the church. Look in verse 5 of 1 Timothy 5. It says, She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Verses 9 and 10. Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, cared for the afflicted, devoted herself to every good work. Paul here is instructing Timothy and describing, here's what these true widows look like. Continuing the pattern of care that you see from the early days of the church. Some theologians have suspected that because of these, the similarity of the qualifications to receive this support, that perhaps it was an office within the church that the widows uh, fulfilled and had specific responsibilities to fulfill. Um, however, the evidence in the text is just not conclusive on, on that. But it's an interesting theory. Um, continuing on, there's another category of where Paul is teaching about honor being shown to the elders who preach and teach. Uh, look in verses 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. This honor would, the double honor idea is probably both respect and honor that would be given to those who are kind of the pastor, teacher, those who are leading the church and doing, and doing the, the teaching. Uh, but also has the idea of financial support, showing financial uh, care for these elders. Now, we've seen some uses of this word, these words overseer, deacon, and elder in 1 Timothy. Uh, we've seen it in some other elements throughout Paul's letters. And there seems to be a lot of overlap in how these terms are used. And we saw how that allowed for some freedom in how the structure uh, and organization of the church is set up. And we see here Paul is quoting from Jesus to support the claim that the elders are worthy of financial support. However, we also see some instances in the New Testament where Paul would forego some of the privileges of receiving financial support. Uh, in Acts 18, we read about how Paul was working with Aquila and Priscilla as a tent maker, and he, but he was always continuing to labor in preaching the gospel. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians. He seems to, to describe this as well. He says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day, and that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. See, the gospel was always the main point of emphasis for the Apostle Paul. And so he was willing to, at, at times, not accept financial support, even though he could, for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the ministry of the gospel, even though he would have been worthy of that. The gospel was the main point and always will be. That's our goal here as a church. There's some points of application on this point on how we are reminded about the importance of godly character and integrity because of the gospel. We saw that with the widows, how they were 
that those that qualify for support would be faithful and godly individuals uh, living with integrity, laboring in prayer, being faithful to their husbands while they were alive, and being committed to serving others. Um, again, these are descriptive characteristics, so they don't just apply to widows, because we know that God has called all of us to be faithful, to serve one another, to show love to one another. Um, and for the church, we see that those who, the elders that rule well, there's this support for godly, um, for those elders as well, and to care for those godly widows without a means of support. And we also saw how this passage reminds us to be faithful to our families. That God has blessed us with parents and loved ones that we can show support and honor to. And honoring our families is an important way in which we can live out the love of Christ that is ours in the gospel. So not only, though, do we see how we can show honor in treating one another with respect and purity, and we saw how we can give honor through care and support, I want us to see one last point from our passage before we, before we wrap up, and that's how we can give honor by being wise in who we honor. Let's look at verse 11 of 1 Timothy chapter 5. It says, Refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I'd have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. So Paul here, is, is he describes this, this system of support and care, he says, here's some, here's some ways, here's some things you, that you, here's some people you should not enroll in this system. He says, for younger widows, um, they would not qualify. And part of the rationale, Gordon Fee thinks, is that younger widows may have actually been some source of some of these difficulties within the church in Ephesus, that perhaps they were following some of the false teaching, and perpetuating some of these ideas that were floating around. Um, and of course, we, nobody want, you don't want to foster something that is bad for people, right? Or harmful to the church, which would be some kind of financial support that enables people to go and be busybodies and gossip. Um, very, those are very unhealthy things. Uh, for them and for the church. There's this contrast between younger widows and older widows that Paul has been mentioning. Um, and so I think we see here that there's this principle of not showing honor because it would be harmful to show honor. Which might sound kind of unusual. It seems kind of odd because we're like, well, we want to show honor to, to all people. We want to show honor. But there's wisdom in exercising caution on how we show honor, who we put up into different uh, positions as well. We're going to see how Paul mentions this, this caution when discussing the selection of new leaders. We've been talking about there's some, this false teaching going on within the church at Ephesus, and so this, would have, this is important that Paul needed to, or Timothy needed to replace these false teachers, these leaders within the church. And Paul goes through a lengthy discussion of the qualifications of that in chapter 3. We saw that earlier. And then he offers some wisdom in verses 19 to 25 on how to replace these false teachers with new leaders. 
I want us to particularly note verse 22. It says, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. I just love this, this nugget of wisdom here where Paul urges Timothy, be cautious. And we know you've got, you've got, you've got people around causing trouble. You've got teaching that is, that is unbiblical that you need to address. But don't just grab somebody who seems like they are more in your camp. Don't just lift them up into a position of leadership without allowing time to prove their character and the genuineness of their calling. Because certain leadership roles within the church, they, they just can't be carried out by just, by just anyone. He continues on, verses 24 and 25. He says, The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also, good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Paul here is saying that there are certain people that it's, it's obvious, like, oh yeah, this, this person wouldn't qualify for a leadership position. And then there are some people like, well, it looks like they could be, but allow time to elapse, and that will prove that out. That, we, that you will see in time, oh, no, this person's not, not quite what we're looking for, not quite ready, not quite what we're looking for for a certain position. That's what I mean, that the sins of others appear later. But he says, good works also are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. One of the things that I, that I think is, is so amazing how we, we can trust God's Spirit to lead and to move and to raise up the people that he's calling into positions of leadership. And when, as we walk in step with God's Spirit and we stay in tune with God's Word and we observe the character of the people around us, then we can trust that God will put people, He will raise up the people that we need. I think it's, it's kind of similar to promotions in, in the workforce. I don't know, probably all of us have seen someone get promoted to a position of leadership perhaps too quickly or that they weren't ready for. And this leads to different, all kinds of different issues within the work environment. That's why it's wise to allow time to elapse before making those judgments. Allowing individuals to be tested to show their diligence for the work. And as I, I think this is, this is true, as we've been saying, this is true for us as leaders within the church. And as, as a church, if we continue to walk through this process of revitalization, I think we've, just, we've been so wise in not rushing on that. As we prepare that in the next few months, we've been wise. We, we want to stay true to the Word of God. We want to see what does the Word of God say. And then, in, as we walk in step with the Spirit, seeking out His direction... We, we will trust and follow the Lord to, to lead us in selecting those leaders for the different roles in this congregation. 
But this is also, I think, just a really great reminder to us as believers, as whether we're, we're desirous of leadership or not, what does our character look like? Do we desire to follow the Lord, to do His will? Do we live with integrity wherever we are? I love that word integrity because it, it suggests that our character is the same no matter who we're around. Whether we're by ourselves, whether we're around other people watching us, we're true to who we are in the Lord. We remain obedient and submitted to the Word of God and to do the will of God. When that, when, and when that is there, we see that good works are conspicuous, but even those that are not cannot remain hidden. God makes those things known. God honors the obedience of His people. And the character of His people who are living for Him shines out. And so those are, those are those points of application of are we living with integrity? Do we, are we desirous to do good works, to show love to others? And that applies to all of us, whether we're, we're youth or college students. We seek to be honest and diligent in the tasks that are in front of us. Do we show, are we faithful to our employers and honest in our work? Are we faithful to our families and wanting to show others kindness and love? But again, I'm just so thankful for God's word, for the leading of, his, of God's spirit as we walk through life, we walk through these decisions as a church, trusting in his leadership and his direction. So today we've, we've seen, it's, it's kind of a different sort of passage, a different, some different thoughts on honor. And we've seen today how we are called, we can show honor through treating one another with respect and purity in all our relationships. We've seen how we can show honor through giving care and support to our families and to uh, those in need and to those who are in leadership. And we've also seen how we, we, we also, we can give honor by being wise in how we give honor. But just, uh, but again, those reminders of just so thankful for the Word of God, the message of the Gospel, and how it brings us that unity and direction that we need as we walk through these next steps. And if today you have never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, if you've never put your faith in Him, Today would be the greatest day you could do that. Have that question settled of where you will spend eternity. And of course, we are always available for those. If you are interested in joining this church, we will be at the front in a little bit. Uh, and we'll be here to pray with you and, and talk with you about those things as well. I'm going to turn it over to, to Pastor Barry. I will uh, close in prayer. And Pastor Barry is going to lead us in Lord's Supper. Lord, we thank you for today and just your word and how it speaks to us. We thank you for these reminders about honor and just how you have called us as your people to honor one another in all that we do. We thank you, Lord, that you are leading and moving in our hearts as a church and directing us into the next steps regarding leadership. I thank you, Lord, that you've called us to be people of integrity and that you enable us to live for you. I ask these things in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.